Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So if you have your Bibles and you're at 2 Corinthians, I'm going to pick it up at verse 11 and uh, we'll go from there. So in verse 11, Paul says this, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me for I ought to have been commended by you for in nothing was I behind uh, the more most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Um, as you, if you heard last week's message and you've been kind of following along with us, Paul did not want to boast. Uh, if you just kind of dove in and read chapter 11, isolated by itself, you know, you'd go, man, Paul's really, what a talker, man. This guy likes to talk himself up and everything. But Paul didn't want to boast. He saw no advantage in boasting, but he felt compelled to do it because of the false apostles that had crept into Corinth after he had left. They were boasting about themselves and they were denigrating Paul. And the thing is, Paul wasn't, you know, as we'll, we'll see, and hopefully you're kind of gathering as you maybe learn about Paul, um, it wasn't Paul's reputation that's like, okay, I got to defend myself. What it was, was if they denigrated Paul, if they discounted him as an apostle, then they would also discount his message that he was sharing. And it was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ to change a person's life. And that was why Paul said, no, he, that's why he felt compelled to, uh, to say things. Um, one of the things that he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he says this, for I know, and he's speaking to the church of Ephesus, but he says this, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from, the, from yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after themselves. And so that was what Paul was concerned with. The Corinthian church should have commended Paul. Why? Well, because they, first of all, they knew what Paul taught. He had been a teacher there for, for quite a while. In fact, a year and a half. They saw how Paul lived what he taught. So it wasn't just, you know, the things in his mouth, but they saw him day to day and they witnessed Paul's character. And so Paul here felt like he was, uh, so Paul in, again, earlier in, in chapter 11 and in chapter 12, Paul felt compelled to, to lay out his apostolic qualifications and not only that, but what he endured for the sake of the gospel. So one of the things that we're going to look at this morning is, is basically what are the qualifications of the apostleship, of Paul's apostleship? What makes a true apostle? Now, one of the questions that maybe you're thinking, and maybe you've heard about it, or maybe, you know, just something you're thinking even now as I'm sharing this, is what about apostles? Are there apostles today? Are there prophets today? Well, there, uh, there were only 12 apostles. Everyone else is B-apostles. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in the sense of apostles like Paul and John and Peter and such, are there apostles like them today? Are there prophets like Elijah, Moses, Elisha, all the prophets in the Old Testament? I want to share something with you, and this is out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
the apostles laid the foundation. What's interesting is when you get to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, it says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this, this foundation, the apostles laid the foundation for the church. There are only 12 foundations with names of the 12 apostles in New Jerusalem. And so uh, there's not like 250 you know, there's not like a, you know, sometimes uh, what we used to do, go to a, a, a pastor's conference in, uh, in uh, Indiana. I believe, yeah, it was in Indiana. And it was at a denominational church conference grounds. And when you walk into the lobby of this conference center, they had this great big plaque with little brass tags. And if you donated to this conference center, your name was engraved on that brass tag. Uh, but what was interesting was there's probably like 50 brass tags that were blank. So, you know, they could keep it, they could keep adding names to the thing. Well, if you get to heaven, there's only 12 names on the foundations of New Jerusalem. It's the name of the 12 apostles. Paul said this in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So the apostles, the apostles, like the 12 apostles, they laid the foundation for the church. Now, having said that, there are, there, the gifting, the apostolic gifting, I believe, personally, is still in effect today. Um, what, I'm, what I mean by apostolic gifting, an, an apostle, the word really means someone who sent. And so the sending out, people that send out, uh, they establish churches and ministries in other regions and stuff. That is an apostolic ministry. But there's no more apostles, when I say A, like capital A, in the sense of Paul, Peter, John, etc. The gifting, the prophetic giftings, I believe, are still in effect throughout the, the church today. Uh, what is the gift of prophecy? It's speaking forth God's word uh, to man. It can be a word of wisdom. It can be a word of knowledge. It can even be a foretelling, a prophesy, a prophecy of things to come. That's a part of it. So the gifting is still in effect today, I believe. Um, but there's no more prophets, like a capital P, like Moses the prophet or, or Elijah or Elisha. Why do I say that? I say it because of this. And this is just a warning to the church. Be cautious when someone claims the title apostle. Hey, I'm apostle so-and-so. And they claim that their authority is equal to or supersedes the foundation that the apostles already laid. If someone claims that title, it's like danger, Will Robinson, danger, you know, the same, I did that last week. All right, I was waiting for somebody to chuckle there, okay. If you've never watched Lost in Space, then it's like you're lost, right? You're <laughs> Be cautious when someone claims the title prophet so-and-so, and then they claim this new revelation or a revelation that contradicts the foundation that was already laid by the apostles. Again, that's dangerous. Be cautious about that. So let's continue on here. Hopefully that answered a question that maybe nobody asked, but it was a question I had. Are there apostles and prophets today? Verse 12, 
Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Very interesting when you look in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, uh, speaking about Peter, in Acts uh, 5 verse 15, it talks about the people in Jerusalem. It says, they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. There was a power in the apostolic ministry of Peter. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 12, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. These were unusual miracles that were occurring. Now, does healing take place today? Absolutely. But these were unusual. It was, it was, an, it was an unusual time uh, where the gospel, where the Holy Spirit was being poured out in, in a powerful way as the foundation of the church was being laid. Now, I do believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still valid for today. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm, what I'm saying here. Paul says, The signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance. So, you know, it wasn't like Peter was on a one-night miracle you know, tour through Corinth, you know, come and visit the apostle, see all the miracles he can do, you know. Uh, it wasn't even like a week of healings or a month of, you know, tent meetings or anything. Paul spent a year and a half at Corinth, and they witnessed not only his teaching, but they saw the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power in the gospel. They saw, they witnessed those things, those unusual signs and wonders for a year and a half. But the thing with Peter and the thing with Paul and the thing with all the apostles, signs and wonders were never the focus of the apostles' ministries. It, the focus was the teaching of the word of God, the spreading of the gospel, the power, the signs and the, and the wonders, they accompanied the teaching of the, of the word. And you know, today, even today, there are some people, some Christians, their faith is centered on, focused on signs and wonders. They're always looking for some miraculous thing, and that's, that bolsters them, and, 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 and that's what their faith is based on. Um, I think that's a, it's, to me, that's a very flimsy foundation to base your faith on. Why would I say that? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, speaking about the last days, which I believe we're in the last days, Jesus said, for false Christs, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So it's not just God who, has, who does signs and wonders. The enemy, it's Satan, there's demonic signs and wonders that, that occur too. So if your faith is built on, on just signs and wonders, you've got to be careful. Jesus said this to the people of Galilee. They, they wanted a, some sign from Jesus, some miraculous thing to be done right in their presence. And Jesus said this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And he's saying that like, that's all you guys are looking for. You see, faith doesn't come by signs and wonders. The gospel, the word of God tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith, that's where your faith, now I'll be honest with you, when God does a miraculous thing, and I've seen miracles, I've experienced things in my own life, when, when those things happen, man, my faith is strengthened, I'm like, praise God, every once in a while God gives me this, just, he does something that's like, all right, Lord, I know you're there, I know you care, I, you, you know, you're involved in my life, 
but my faith isn't built on that. It's not like, okay, God's not doing a miraculous thing there. You know, I'm not a Christian anymore. No. So be careful. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Verse 13. For what is it in, uh, excuse me, for what is it, for what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches? I have a little tongue twister for me. Except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Now for the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours but you. For the children are not to lay up for the parents but the parents for the children. That's a very, very uh, important thing that Paul says there. I, I don't seek yours, but I seek you. I was reading one commentary, Robertson's Word Pictures. And he says, this should be the model of every preacher, which is true. Paul is saying, I seek your salvation, not your property. Now, earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, Paul was kind of rebuking the Corinthians. He says this, you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, because that's what the false, prophet, false apostles were doing. They, they, were in it to get, they were in it to get something from the children, from the, from the Corinthians. Paul was not in it to get anything from them he was more concerned with their souls. He says, for the children are not to, ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And here's a picture that he's painting. And the picture is of a father. And in a real sense, Paul was a spiritual father to the Corinthians. And as a father works, you know, a father works to provide for their children's present needs, you know, put food on the table, and also for their future security. That's what a father does. In the same way, Paul says, that's what I'm doing for you. I'm not in it. I'm laboring for you, not to gain anything from you. I'm, I'm there to, to support you, to, to meet your needs, and to build, build you up for a future, a secure future. Verse 15, Paul says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Think about what Paul said there. I will verily gladly spend all that I have for you, Corinthians. In other words, any resource that he had, it could be his money. We know that Paul supported himself in ministry. So he, he would gladly spend all his, his money for the sake of the Corinthians. His time, Paul spent, I doubt, I doubt Paul had an, like an eight to five ministry and then, you know, at six o'clock, I'm off the clock, you know. Paul ministered whenever there was a need. His energy, he poured himself into his ministry and his love for the church. Paul says, I will very gladly spend all that I have for you and Paul will gladly be spent for the Corinthians. In other words, he would utterly sacrifice himself, his energy, his health, even his reputation, which we're talking about this morning, his affections, anything and notice that he says i will very gladly be spent in other words he'd do it joy joyfully but the thing is he says this but the more paul loved them the less he was loved he says there uh, though the more abundantly i love you the less i am loved you can kind of sense maybe a little bit of just kind of a, some hurt in paul as he is saying that Listen, this is a good test 
for anyone's heart in any capacity of ministry, anything that you do. Let me ask you this. Do you get upset when you're not commended for what you do or you're not thanked or you're not appreciated? Does, does that really bother you? You see, it hurt Paul. It would hurt anybody if you, you, know, you pour yourself out and nobody, they never say thank you. They never respond. It's just like they just take you. You feel like they're taking you for granted and, and that can be hurtful. But it hurt Paul, but it didn't stop Paul. He says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. How could Paul do that? How could he do that? There's two reasons. One is his agape love. His agape love for the Corinthians. Agape love, what is that? That's a love that doesn't demand or expect reciprocation. It's a love that gives without expecting anything in return. It's a love that's a choice to love. It's based on a choice. It's not based on a reaction. That's the love that Christ had for you and I when he died on the cross. He chose to love us in that way to die for us. That's one way that Paul was able to do it. The other way, and he gives it, we talked about it on Wednesday evenings in our Bible study in, in Ephesians that we're doing right now. And that we talked about it last, last Wednesday. Is whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it for Christ. Don't do it for people, do it for Christ. And if your focus is on serving the Lord, it's a lot easier. Now, again, like I said, Paul's a human. Paul's a guy. And, and he felt hurt, obviously. Anybody would be feel hurt if they feel like they're unappreciated. But don't let it stop you. So that's a good test for us in any kind of ministry capacity. Verse 16, be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. I can almost hear him say, ha, 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 ha. You know, he's probably writing it that way. Um, Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? You can really sense some sarcasm there. Every once in a while, Paul, uh, you know, he says something and it seems like he's just being sarcastic. Um, Is he being sarcastic? A lot of people think he is here. It could be that he's just, that was one of the accusations that was hurled against Paul. Basically, they're saying, you know, Paul, yeah, he's not taken from you, but he sends Titus to do his dirty work. You know, he sends Titus to collect money. Supposedly, they're bringing it to Jerusalem, to the saints there. But you know what? Paul's probably, you know, skimming off the top or something. That might have been one of the accusations. So... Paul said, there's this guy named, well, obviously Titus, we know who Titus is, and an unnamed brother. We don't know who that unnamed brother was. And Paul, Paul says, all three of us, we had the same heart for you Corinthians. None of us took advantage of you for personal gain. You know, when I read that, the one thing that just kind of jumped out at me as a pastor, it's a blessing to serve alongside people that have the same heart that minister with the same motives. It's a blessing to serve with people who have the same spirit and the same heart. On the flip side of that, it's also obvious when you're serving with someone who doesn't necessarily have the same heart. Maybe they're serving out of pride or they have this need for power or this need for recognition or maybe to gain financially or in some way to gain from it. We did a flood run. Actually, there was a, we didn't do a flood run. We did a ministry 
during the flood run. The flood run is a motorcycle rally that happens. It's a benefit for Gillette's Children's Hospitals. It happens in the fall and it happens in the spring. And uh, we got involved with another fellowship and uh, started doing this flood run ministry. And man, I loved that ministry. Uh, get to meet a bunch of bikers and we would just set up a tables at this one spot right along the, the flood run in a good spot where they would they were right across the street. It was one of their main stops. So we, get, we got a lot of people at that one place place and and so we were serving with this other fellowship and so what we did was we set up these tables we had signs free food biker stop you know biker blessings we, we would bless people's bikes for them it's just an opportunity to pray with people and to meet them and to share the gospel and stuff I love doing that ministry um, but one time and I had been praying with some people and I and I walked back up to where the where the tables were set up and I saw a coffee can that said donations and I'm like, what is with this? And so I talked to one of the people in our fellowship, and, and she said, oh, you know, this so-and-so from the other fellowship, people were wanting to give us money to, to kind of pay for their food. And so we just thought, well, let's just put a can out here and collect donations. I said, man, get rid of that can. Get rid of the can, because that's not the purpose. The purpose isn't to get from anybody. If they want to donate, you know, don't, I mean, if they want to do it, that's fine. Don't, you don't have to take away their blessing of donating, but don't ask for it. Because can you imagine, here's some guy, you've got these signs that say free food, biker blessings. You come up there and there's a can that says donations. What do you do? What do I do? Man, I feel obligated. It's like, okay, they got a can. I got to throw in a buck or two or five bucks or something. Now it's not ministry in my opinion. Now it's like, okay, we want to get something from you. So that started happening. So it's like, okay. Um, we're not really of the same heart because my heart is just to minister. I don't want anything from anybody. Just We just want to bless these people because, you know, that is the, the misconception or, or in some cases it is the, the, the people's opinions of the church from experience is that all they want is money. That's all they're asking for. They're in it for, to get something from me. I'm like, man, we don't, we don't want to do that. We just want to bless. We want to meet people. And so that was what we were doing. Well, um, after a while, things, w w it kind of became obvious to me that we were, we're, we're really weren't in step with this other ministry. So we, I decided, I made the choice, you know, I think we're going to back out of doing the ministry. And well, the last time I talked with this, with this uh, brother of mine and, and he's like, we're going to, we're going to do it again this year. And I said, well, I think we're not going to do it anymore and stuff. And, and I said, uh, he goes, yeah, we're going to do it. And he said, we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do it as a uh, uh, gaining support. What do they call it when they do some fundraisers? Thank you. We're going to do it as a fundraiser for our youth group at the church that we're part of. And I'm like, okay, go for it. You know, that's God bless you. We're not going to do it. I'll be honest with you. I have an aversion to doing fundraising for things. I really do. If you've noticed, we don't really do like car washes for the church or, you know, or, you know, baked goods so that you can support our, I don't like doing that. I'm not against it. I'm not saying it's a sin if you do it, but to me, that really changes people's perceptions. I just want to bless people and minister to people. I'd rather be spent, spend and be spent than try to get anything in return. And so that's my heart in that anyways. So it's a blessing to be serving alongside people that have the same spirit, the same heart in ministry. Verse 19, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? 
We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. You know, Paul's, you know, you can just kind of put yourself in the, in the mind of Paul. He's been writing all this stuff. He hates boasting about himself, and yet he's been doing it. Um, have you ever done a job interview? You know, I, I don't like doing job interviews. I, fortunately, I haven't had to do too many of them. But, you know, they t- you talk yourself up, basically, right? You tell them all your qualifications, how good you are. You, you basically want to sell yourself to the people so that they'll go, oh, wow, this guy's good. I want to hire him, you know? Um, I, it's, it's not good if you go in there and go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm probably the worst programmer. You know, whatever it is, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wart. <laughs> you know, whatever you say, you know, people, they don't want to hear that, right? They want to hear how good you are. And so Paul's probably thinking, man, these guys are probably thinking that, that you know, I, I'm boasting about myself, that, I, that I'm trying to defend myself. We get a glimpse into Paul's character in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So Paul, he didn't really care necessarily that he was looked bad in the eyes of the the Corinthians for himself personally. He says, we speak before God in Christ. See, Paul was much more, excuse me, much less concerned with being judged by the Corinthians. And he was much more concerned with being judged by God. I read this, uh, this story here. It says, on one occasion, Abraham Lincoln and his counselors had taken an important decision. One of the counselors said, well, Mr. President, I hope that God is on our side. Lincoln answered, what I am worried about is not if God is on our side, but if we're on God's side. It's a good attitude. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.4. I read verse 4.3. Let me read it to you. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. And then in verse 4, he says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. I'm worried about what God thinks about me. I'm worried less about what you think about me. But, he says, there in verse 19, but we do all things beloved for your edification. See, Paul here, it's kind of a heavy portion of scripture. Paul's really kind of laying it on the line for the Corinthians right now. His purpose isn't to intimidate the Corinthians. It's not, obviously, I've been saying it over and over again, it's not to boast. It's also not to manipulate the Corinthians. His heart was simply to build them up and to protect them from falling prey from these false apostles. Because they were just wanting to steal, to take from the Corinthians. This kind of is a recurring application, or a re- yeah, recurring application. I don't know if you're seeing that as we're going through this portion of scripture, but let me ask you this again. Do you serve in whatever capacity, pastor, elder, uh, worship leader, you know, coffee ministry, sound, I mean, you name it, in, in any capacity, do you serve to build others up? Think about it. This is a rhetorical question. Or do you do it for your own recognition? Is it meeting others' needs? Or are you trying to, uh, somehow it's meeting your sense, you, you have a need, you, you know, I want to be recognized or whatever. Or are you in it for personal gain? Again, that's over and over. Paul says, I'm not in it. I'm not in it for any gain, anything I can get from you. Verse 20, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you as such as you do not wish. 
lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Some of these issues that we see here in verse 20 in particular, also in verse 21, but these were issues that Paul addressed in his first epistle. There was divisions, there was strife, there was pride, there was immorality. And what Paul is saying here, he had already warned them, if they don't address these sins before he comes this next time to visit him, he's going to exercise his apostolic authority there. And he basically says, you guys aren't going to like it. You see, when Paul was there in the beginning, he was humble. He was, he was, he supported himself. He was, he was, you know, he was to be all things to all people. You know, he's just loving them and, and trying to win them over by the love of God. But now they haven't repented. Now he's like, if you, I'm, I'm going to have to exercise spiritual discipline and you're not going to like it if you don't respond. Paul's heart is revealed in this, too. You know, you might think, well, man, that sounds really judgmental. He's not a judgmental, critical leader. He's mourning over the people's unrepented sin. He grieves over their sin. And that's a good thing for us to examine our own hearts. You know, we can get really down on people or down on this group of people or down on that group of people. Um, but I have to ask myself, am I, am, I, am I being critical? Am I being judgmental? Or do I just grieve over the sin that, that's, you know, they've fallen to the lies of the enemy. Do I grieve over that? Paul's desire is not to come and be the heavy. That wasn't his desire. It's not the desire of most pastors or anyone that's any kind of church leadership to be the heavy, to, to do church. I mean, who wants to be that? But Paul's feeling compelled because if they don't repent, this is serious business. And so he feels he loves them that much that he's not going to just let it slide. He has to address it. And so we get to chapter 13. Paul writes this. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Paul says, by, he's quoting from the Old Testament, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Paul says, hey, this is the third time. This is the third warning I've given you. You've had ample opportunity to repent. And so he says, you know, when Jesus was walking the earth and, you know, he appeared weak to the world. In fact, we even speak of him as the lamb of God who was slain. You know, the lamb, a little a defenseless, little pure little lamb that was slain for us. Christ appeared weak to the world, but then he resurrected in power and glory. And he's returning as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Paul says, so too, just like Jesus appeared weak, but he he's came back in power. I've been, I've been appearing weak among you the first time I've visited you. The second time, now this third time, 
I'm going to come back with the power of the apostolic authority if you don't repent. Verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Here are the, the, the false apostles and some of the Corinthians that had kind of bought into what these guys were saying. They were criticizing Paul, excuse me. They were questioning Paul's apostleship. They were finding fault with Paul. And so Paul kind of flips the table on them. He goes, I'm going to give you a little test. Examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? Test yourselves. That is a good question. Are you in the faith? What does that mean? Are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? How do you know that? Well, it says right here, is Jesus Christ in you? See, it's not a, it's not, and I've talked to people and they go, yeah, I, I know who Jesus is. I know about Jesus. It's not, it doesn't matter if you know about Jesus. I mean, important to know who he is, but that's not what saves a person. Oh, I know about Jesus. It's not even if I believe he is the son of God. I've been sharing the gospel with people before. I go, yeah, I believe he died and rose again. It's like, okay. But it stops there. It's not even that. The question is, is he dwelling in your heart? See, that's the difference between a religion. What's a religion? You, you do things or you don't do things. You, you observe practices or stuff so that you can gain access to God. It's what you do. You have to do or don't do certain things. That's religion. There's also people live by a code of ethics. You know, basically, there's basic principles I live by. I recycle. You know, I don't, I do no harm to anybody or anything. And so I live by these precepts. And so if I live by these principles, man, I'm, God's going to be happy with me. It's not that. It's not even a belief system if that belief system doesn't change your life. You can believe all you want, but if it doesn't transform your life, what good is it? The difference is not a religion or a code of ethics, or a belief system. It's a personal, dynamic, growing, changing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. Is he dwelling in you? Is he challenging you? Is he changing you? Are you growing in your faith? So he asked the Corinthians that question. Verse 7. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. In this also we pray <clears throat> that you be made complete. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Listen, Paul didn't mind appearing weak to the Corinthians. He didn't mind uh, being thought of, you know, as, as some weak person. He didn't mind expending himself. He was more concerned with their souls and their opinion of him. And he spoke the truth to them in love, of course, not to destroy them, but to build them up. See, there's a difference between being truthful, because you can speak the truth to someone, but also have a critical spirit. You can speak the truth but have a critical spirit. That's, that's one way to speak the truth to someone. But that's the difference between being truthful, like Paul is, and yet having a loving spirit. You're still speaking the truth, but you're speaking it out of love, not out of judgment, not out of criticism. 
Are you out to write someone off, to judge them and condemn them? You know, it's just like, I'm done with you. Or do you want to see them grow in their relationship with the Lord? Do you want to see them mature? That's the difference. And that's Paul's heart in his letter to the Corinthians. We get to verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Farewell. I looked that up because, you know, this looks, I don't know. We don't say farewell. We just say goodbye or you take it easy or whatever. Um, but farewell, what does it mean? It comes from the word to rejoice. And it was obviously used as a greeting. And what Paul is saying is joy, joy to you, joy to you. See, Paul's coming down pretty heavy, but he's not ending his letter like on a bad note. He's, he wants to encourage them. And so he says, man, I hope you're filled with joy, joy to you. And then he tells them to become complete. Now, if you have the King James Version, it's a little more like, ooh, because what complete means is be perfect. Wow, be perfect. You know, when Paul says to become complete or to become perfect, it implies a few things. First, it implies none of us are perfect or complete because we've got to become that. We're not, we're not there. But it also, when he says become complete or become perfect, it means that that's something that you and I should be striving for. We need to strive for that. Why do I say that? Don't settle for complacency in your walk with the Lord. Don't settle for, you know, hey, this is just who I am. People just got to get used to it, you know. Don't settle for that. Um, strive to grow. Strive to mature and be willing to change. Become complete. And then he says be of good comfort. That word comfort is the same word that we have for the Holy Spirit. It's the word uh, paraclete, which means comfort or the comforter. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It's to aid, to help, to comfort, and encourage the saints. And so Paul says, hey, be of good comfort. Be one who comforts other people, other believers. Come to their aid. You know, somebody's struggling with something, they're struggling with some of their walk. Come alongside them, aid them, help them, encourage them. You know, we can, we can just lay down the things of everything that we're against, but why don't you come alongside and minister to those people that, you know, whatever it is, come alongside. Help, comfort, and encourage them. So be of good comfort. Be like the Holy Spirit. Don't be the Holy Spirit, okay? There's a, there's a difference. You can be the Holy Spirit. You can try to lay guilt trips on people and try to get, you know, don't do that. Don't manipulate. But be like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, man, he speaks in a still, small voice. He encourages. He corrects when necessary, but it's always in a loving way. Be like the Holy Spirit. Be of one mind. Man, that's a challenge today, isn't it? Being of one mind. What a challenge for the church today. We're seeing different camps and all kinds of stuff, man. There's so many different minds today. What a challenge for us. Is it possible to be of one mind? When you look at what's going on right now, it seems like, man, it seems like it's impossible for all of us to come together with one mind, but we can. It is possible. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say be of one mind if he can't be of one mind. So if it's possible, how do we do it? By the love of Christ. 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. 
Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So be of one mind. Be compassionate to those around you. Live in peace. Again, that's a challenge in these days. I'm going to read this verse out of Genesis. You don't need to turn there, but it's in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4. And it speaks about Joseph and his brothers. It says this, When his brothers saw that their father loved him, speaking of Joseph, more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Why? Because they were jealous of him. They were envious of him. And if you're dealing with jealousy or envy in your heart, you're not going to be peaceful with people around you. Paul said this because you might say, okay, you know, there's an issue. There's a person that I'm not, at, I'm trying to be at peace with them. But man, we still have this, there's still this, this stuff going on between us. What can I do? Well, Paul answers that in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Just do your part to be peaceful with them. In fact, there's another passage that says, pursue peace with all people. Pursue it, man. Go after it. Chase it. Work at it. Being peaceful with other people. Now, the fact that Paul says these things to be, it means to do this, uh, you know, he says, do these things or be this way. By him saying that, that means that it's possible for us to do it. And here's the blessing here. You know, Paul doesn't just say, okay, you guys do this. And, and then they just kind of, he just kind of lets them go. God doesn't do that to us either. I don't know if you've ever been in a training situation where someone just says, okay, this is what you do and have at it. And then you start doing it. And if you blow it, then they, then they tell you, well, you should have done it this way. You know, that's a, I hate learning that way. I like it when somebody kind of comes alongside, shows me what's going on. They kind of help me, you know, kind of get, let me get started. And then they back off and let me do things. Well, God's the same way. He doesn't say, you know, uh, love everybody, be of the same mind, be at peace with everybody. And then you've got to figure out how you're going to do it. He doesn't do that. Here's the blessing. He doesn't tell us how to figure it out on your own. He tells us how. He doesn't tell us to do it on our own. Because notice he says these things. He says there, uh, go, go back to the verse, verse 13. No, uh, where am I at here? Verse 11. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And here's the blessing. As you pursue those things, and the God of love and peace will be with you. God will come along and strengthen you in those areas where you're weak. This holy, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside and he aids us. He enables us to do those things. So we get to the closing of this letter. Paul says this, verse uh, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. We're not going to start um, implying that uh, today. Um, All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I don't know if you caught the Trinity there uh, in there uh, at the last verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity there. But I want to go back to that greet one another with a holy kiss. I've got this from a rather old commentary. It says in Jewish synagogues, 
where the sexes were separated, men kissed men, the women women. This apparently was the Christian custom also. It is still observed in the Coptic and Russian churches. It was dropped because of charges made against the Christians by the pagans. In England, in 1250, Archbishop Walter of York introduced a Pax board. Pax is the Latin word for peace, right? Uh, which was first kissed by the clergy and then passed around. And then this is a commentary. It says, think of the germ theory of disease in that kissing tablet. <laughs> so, hey, with COVID-19, I'm going to kiss this board and we'll start passing it around. Everybody can kiss it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would fly too good in, in uh, today, would it? Adam Clark says this for greeting one another with a, with a holy kiss. It's just a, he says this, let the spirit of friendship live among you and encourage its continuance by every friendly act. And just, we're brothers and sisters here. Love each other like brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, if I could have the worship team coming up. We're going to close with one more song. I hope you were encouraged in our teaching in 2 Corinthians. Um, it's, I love, you know, every time I go through it, uh, you know, I, I'll give you a little trade secret. I know some pastors kind of, they kind of go back to their notes and go, okay, well, I taught on this, I, you know, and they kind of have it already done. It makes it really easy for them. I'm not saying I'm any better than, in fact, I know I'm not better than anybody else, but me personally, I always want to start fresh. And so it's like, you know what? I don't even go back to my old notes. I, I didn't even know if I have old notes for 2 Corinthians. I always go back to it, start, and say, Lord, speak to me something fresh today. Because you know, as you do that in your Bible study, sometimes you get to a passage and you go, ah, I know what this is all about. I, I, I'm just going to skip over it because I know what Paul's saying or I know what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. I encourage you, come to each passage of Scripture in your daily devotions with a fresh open mind say Lord teach me something new out of your word because if you have that attitude he will do it and so as we've been going through 2nd Corinthians I, I've been challenged believe me I've been challenged by it myself personally how do I apply it in my own personal life and I hope that you've been challenged and encouraged too I don't want to just be able you know challenge everybody every week or it's like I can't do it I want to encourage people too and you can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you Amen. Heavenly Father I thank you for your word this morning Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here in the sanctuary. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that has joined us online to catch this service. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, we have been encouraged. Lord, that we've been comforted. Lord, that we've been instructed this today. And Lord, I pray that above all, that, Lord, we just see your love for us through everything that we've studied today. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. Lord, you're so gracious to us, and I thank you for your mercy, Lord. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we can live out these things that Paul is instructing the Corinthians to do. Help us in our generation, in our culture, in our current situation, in our sphere of influence to do these things, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.